Welcome to the Chiropractors Association of Australia podcast. The CAA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as the latest research and how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chiropractors Association of Australia podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Now, as chiropractors, we appreciate that our profession is a science, art, and philosophy, and we can see some values in these aspects of practice, certainly. It would be fair to say, though, that in a modern evidence-based world, more and more we are seeing a greater need for an emphasis on science and the scientific approach. This is not just true of chiropractic, but of healthcare in general. I'm sure you'll be aware of the second model that talks about uh, the three other three pillars, the uh, pillar of research, of practitioner experience, and patient values. And this sort of model presented uh, very much in a patient-centered framework is something that most professions, and certainly now chiropractic, is moving towards. And I think it's something that doesn't necessarily need to contradict or go against the traditional science, art and philosophy that as chiropractors we have uh, grown up with. I think most would also agree that as a profession we've got a bit of catching up to do in terms of uh, developing a strong research culture. In some ways we've uh, been, uh, it's been difficult because as chiropractors we've always had high patient satisfaction rates and we've somewhat rested on our laurels as far as trying to critically analyze this and improve the way we uh, produce chiropractors and the way that we uh, uh, work with our art. The CA have certainly been working hard in this area with PhD and uh, Masters of Re um, Research Scholarships and of course the ACORN project where literally hundreds of thousands of dollars have been spent in the last few years trying to build the research base. Well today I'm speaking with a chiropractor who is very involved in research as well as practice and teaching. We're going to be talking today with chiropractor Mike Swain, who's a graduate from Macquarie University in 2004. He has a Master's of Philosophy in Sports Injury Epidemiology, and he's published uh, some journal articles in the injury sports field, which we'll be talking about in just a few moments' time. He has, uh, of course, an interest in uh, sports injuries, and he works both with uh, community and elite athletes. He's a lecturer at Macquarie University. University, and he's currently completing his PhD at the University of Sydney in the area of adolescent musculoskeletal pain. If you've been reading any of the CAA um, emails that have been going out, you might uh, also realise that he's involved uh, in the uh, as a program fellow of the Chiropractic Academy for Research Leadership, uh, commonly known by the acronym CARL. Hi, Mike, and welcome to the CAA podcast. Thanks for having me, Anthony. So uh, let's begin at the beginning, as it were, and tell us about your transition from practitioner to lecturer and researcher. Was it a, a difficult process, and did you have mentors to help you along the way? Well, I, I suppose I never intended to become a, an academic chiropractor, so I never intended to become a lecturer and a researcher. I always had aspirations to be a sports chiropractor, and so I, I enrolled in a a Master's of Sports Science at the University of Sydney and shortly after enrollment I realized that a lot of the content that we were, we were studying was content that we'd already covered in the Master's of Chiropractic program. So 
I went back to Macquarie and um, I spoke to Henry Pollard at the time and he suggested that I get involved in some research. So I enrolled in a Master's of Philosophy and uh, I studied neck injuries in rugby union players because I had an interest in, in rugby union. And um, during that time, I was offered some casual teaching work. Uh, I started doing some tutoring and then some lecturing and... Once you get offered a little bit and, and it goes well, you get offered more and more. So I was doing quite a lot of teaching at that time. And then an ongoing lecturer appointment uh, became available. And so I applied and I was successful at that time. Uh, and then I enrolled in a PhD after that um, at the University of Sydney. And, and at that time, I sought out Chris Ma. Chris had a quite a strong profile in musculoskeletal research. And so I suppose the two main mentor figures from a, a researcher lecturer point of view for me have been um, Henry Pollard and Chris Marr and then more recently people like Steve Camper and other members of the MSK group at the University of Sydney. Um, was it easy and, or difficult? It was um, – it, it, there were definitely challenges along the way. However, I took the viewpoint that it was more about the journey so I didn't necessarily want this particular – work to get in one in an event and adding a bunch more challenges like additional degrees and whatnot um yeah it's it's tricky so i, I suppose I suppose that's my response to that question, Anthony. Well, speaking of, uh, of mentors, and you've mentioned two very important ones uh, in your life just there, that uh, you were um, competitively appointed uh, onto Carl, and of course uh, the mentors there, most uh, uh, chiropractors in Australia will be aware of, certainly John Adams, who uh, heads up uh, ACORN, Jan Harbertson, um, and, and Greg Korchuk. Um, tell us a little bit about Carl. Um, how did it all start and, and when did you become involved in the process? Okay, sure. Um, so Carl's a chiropractic research leadership training program. The expressions of interest for um, Carl Fellows went out, I think it was around the end of 2016. So there was um, a call for applications. I, I popped my application at that time and then we were notified uh, towards the end of 2016 or the start of 2017 that were successful. Now, when did it all start? I, I would imagine, and, and of course, Carl is an initiative that was established by the Carl Mentors, and you've mentioned them. That was John Adams, Jan Harbertson, and Greg Korchuk. I would imagine that they were probably talking about this idea for perhaps 12 months and and on, in the lead-up to calling for expressions of interest. Um what is it all about? It's, um, I suppose if we look at the Australian context just to provide some, some, some background to the topic, we've now got uh, good infrastructure. So chiropractic is housed within university systems in Australia. We've got um, funding opportunities thanks to groups like the CAA with their support of MRES, PhD and project grants and also CA and um, Coca Research Limited. Uh, but what we don't tend to have is that level of leadership that will create the research culture that is necessary for um, high-level outputs. 
that be ongoing or or um, frequent publications from our chiropractic academics and those publications occurring in high impact journals. And I suppose what we're all trying to do in this research game is move towards doing project work that will be impactful, that will create change, positive change in the community. And to be able to do that best, we really need to try and acquire large nationally competitive research funding to fund our projects. And um, chiropractic at this time isn't very well positioned to compete for those sorts of funding opportunities. So hopefully this leadership training program will help develop those individuals and develop the culture and that we bring those cultures and um, skill sets back to our institutions uh, here in Australia and elsewhere and that we do become competitive and that we do have more impact in, um, in our research outputs. So for, for me just to understand that correctly, do you, are you as a mm. group and Carl actually doing your own research or is it just the group getting together and talking about ways to you know, um, be better leaders and to create uh, formulas that will allow you to be um, better doing your own research and as far as output and, and quality is concerned? Yeah. So we all have our um, individual programs of study. So we, we all have our our own research directions. There is some overlap between individuals in the Carl group, so w with regards to the fellows and also the mentors. Um, we When we get together, I suppose the first step is about us working collaboratively together. So we are working on um, projects together at this time. But it's not just about the projects and those specific publications and outputs. It's also about uh, leadership training. So when we do get together, we um, we attend presentations by senior academics. Um, for example, at the last residential in Edmonton, there was a number of senior academics, both chiropractors and non-chiropractors, that um, told us about their paths to date and they also provided some uh, advice on the career challenges that uh, an early career researcher will face as they move through their career. So looking at the photos from um, some of the newsletters, uh, it seems like Australia is fairly well represented there. We've got Craig Moore, Katie DeLuca, Matt Fernandez and yourself of course. Um, how do you think programs like CAR will influence chiropractic in this country? Mm. Well, yeah, we're, we're really fortunate here in Australia to have these four great chiropractors um, represent Australia in the, in the Carl training program. I think, the, I think the main thing will be that these people will bring this culture and skills back to Australia. Um, if we look at Katie, Matt and myself, we currently hold uh, academic appointments at universities where we can interact with chiropractic students directly. So I think what we'll see is that there'll be this cultural change in the way that having a vibrant atmosphere within departments that have systems in place to allow um, high level and frequent academic outputs is really important. This is something we didn't necessarily have when this group of 
chiropractors that you've just mentioned started out. Um, the, I think it's fair to say there might have been some teething problems initially for chiropractic academia in Australia. But hopefully that will change with these, um, these people going into chiropractic appointments. So, so you've had obviously your, your first um, residential meeting in Denmark and from what you've uh, just told me, I knew the Edmonton one was coming up, but obviously that's uh, just been and gone. Uh, where, where to next, uh, I guess, for Carl? Yeah, so we, we've had the, the Denmark, the Odense residential, and that was really um, the meet and greet. And we've started working on projects together just to get a track record of output as a group. Um, it, it's important for us to get to know one another and figure out how we can work collaboratively with one another. The next immediate thing will be the residential in Edmonton. And this is really exciting. I think when we meet up at this time, we'll, we'll review our outputs over the last year and also most likely um, plan more impactful collaborative projects that we start off afresh as opposed to just pick up on um, previous work that we've had in the pipeline and collaborate on that work. So I'm really excited about this upcoming residential. I think uh, there'll be a lot more planning for future project work together and, um, and that's in the immediate future. Thereafter, there'll be another residential uh, in 2019 in Australia, in Sydney. So this will be a hometown residential for me. And I think by that time, the group will be quite mature. And I think it'll be really exciting to see what sort of output the group can produce uh, at that time. Well, it certainly does uh, sound exciting. Um, what I wanted to get on to now was to talk a little bit about your individual research. You've got um, a terrific and uh, I think almost controversial uh, bit of uh, research that will be um, published very, very soon that I want to go into a bit of detail uh, about. But um, just to guess, to mm. give the listeners a bit of background about what you've done and, and just some things that sparked my interest when I was uh, flicking through some of your research projects. So there's three mm. that I've picked out um, here. One um, was the one that you did on the International Survey of Pain in Adolescence, um, 2014, and basically just looking at, you know, are kids between the ages of uh, 10 and, is it 10 and 19, is that the adolescent range officially? Yeah, so, well, that's, that's as defined by the World Health Organization, that is, but um, the boundaries vary. There's a little bit of uh, ambiguity uh, or lack of consensus, I suppose I should say, amongst experts in the field. So it may start earlier than that. It most likely does start earlier than that. And it most likely does go later than 20. But just for convenience, let's say the ages between 10 and 19 being the adolescence age frame. And you were looking in this group at headache, stomach uh, ache and back pain. What were the results? Yeah, so this was a, a, um, this was a very large uh, international cross-sectional study. So it's a study that goes out every four years to school children across, uh, well, in this study, that was uh, 28 countries, I believe. Um, but it's much larger now, the Health, Behaviour and School Age Children uh, Research Network. There's something like 43 countries participating with increasing numbers every year. Um, this was a prevalence study. So we were just trying to get a gauge on how frequently uh, uh, adolescents experience these three common types of, of pain types, so headache, stomachache, and backache. And what we found was these pains are very, very common on a monthly or more frequent basis. So um, over half of the children that were surveyed reported experiencing headaches on a monthly or more frequent basis are around the same, slightly less for stomachache, and about a third, if not just a little bit more, of all the adolescents. 
reported backache. Now, this was, like I mentioned, a large international study. And so it's quite representative of what's going on in countries around the world. I suppose what we're saying is that the pain problem in children is, is very common. Uh, once upon a time, it was thought that uh, childhood and adolescence was a very healthy stage of life and that these sorts of problems didn't affect these young people. But I suppose as most of the clinicians know out there just from their experience in clinical practice that these presentations are very common in clinic. So we looked at that. We also asked a few questions, um, really really simple questions, um, boys or girls, which, which, um, which group are going to experience these pains more frequently. We found that that was indeed the case for girls and also that the prevalence tends to increase uh, across increasing age frames. So as we move up to late adolescence, after 15 years of age, the frequency of these problems pretty much matches that of, of, of adults. And so what this tells us is that, you know, this is potentially a really big public health problem uh, out there in the community. And something certainly that, as you mentioned, the chiropractors are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So that's uh, good research. Uh, another one that I looked at was, uh, and you mentioned this a little earlier uh, in the podcast, um, about the incidence and severity of neck injury in a rugby union. And this was mm-hmm. a systemic, um, uh, systematic rather, a review uh, in yep. the Journal of Science, Medicine and Sport 2011. So um, how often do these injuries occur? Yeah, so... This So this project was part of my MPhil uh, work and the idea with doing this sort of work is that we try and develop preventative strategies um, that can be implemented to reduce the impact of these problems in whatever it might be. In this instance, this is in rugby players. So in the sequence of prevention, the first step is just to identify how, how common these conditions are and what the impact are, what's the severity of these problems. And thereafter, what we tend to do is try and figure out what the risk factors are and the mechanisms so that we can target those factors to, um, we intervene to try and prevent subsequent occurrences. And then this cycle just continues on where we reevaluate the incidence and severity. So what we were doing here was a systematic review. We're trying to take all the studies that looked at how frequent um, neck injuries occur in rugby players and what the impact, what the severity are of these problems and what we found I suppose incidence rates is a little tricky to interpret but roughly translated if you take an average rugby club on a week-to-week basis we found that there may be less than one injury up to eight injuries per week in a given rugby club occurred from the body of knowledge we um we did a primary study as well and what we found out there in the community in at the amateur level in an average rugby club there's about two of these neck injuries that occur on a weekly basis. Now, there's not many studies that have looked at the severity of the problem, and the severity of the problem is typically quantified by time loss from play. And so there's thresholds that are typically used, so less than one-week time loss, um, between one two-week time loss and greater than four weeks time loss. And of and, and then again, there are those catastrophic injuries, and these are the, the nasty things that we don't necessarily like to talk about. These are the spinal cord injuries where, where the, the consequences are quite quite grave for the people that incur these injuries. Um, so we had a look at the, the incident severity. Um, with regards to the severity in community 
rugby players, on average, the um, players that experience neck injuries, they only have one to two weeks lost from play or perhaps no weeks lost from play. But then around 15% of them will have two to four or four or more weeks lost from play. So they're quite severe. So they're fairly frequent and the consequences can be grave, but those grave consequences are, are, are not common, um, if that makes sense, Anthony. And I guess the important thing with research like this is, um, you know, it, it points out on obviously the need uh, or to understand the incidents, but possibly in the future, if necessary, to maybe change some of the rules of the games if these sorts of um, more serious injuries are happening far too more uh, far too commonly. I'd imagine certainly American gridiron, the way that they uh, attack a pack just head first with uh, helmets on. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of talk, as I understand over there, for, with concussion problems and so forth, that there may be future changes to rules um, to ensure that people can participate in these sports but, but do so safely. Yeah, definitely. Like, Of course, we want to try and get people to increase their physical activity in the community and organised sports is a really great way of doing that. And there's also this social aspect, particularly to these sorts of football-type um, club interactions out there in the community. Uh, with regards to comparison of injury rates, sports like AFL um, less frequently have these neck, neck injury problems um, than rugby union. But then again, in American gridiron, the uh, rates are far higher than, say, rugby union. And they do lead to rule changes. So, for example, in rugby union, they, there have been uh, steps since I did my research where they've now started to depower the scrum. Right, in American gridiron, there's been rule changes where spear tackling, this is where they lead with their head and there's going to be this actual load down on the neck is um, no longer allowed. So you're quite right. The, the sports are taking um, a proactive step to try and reduce the injury burden um, and risks in, in their sports. That's very important. The third uh, paper that had me uh, interested, uh, and mostly because of the title, was uh, your 2007 paper, Australian Chiropractic Sports Medicine, Halfway There or Living on a Prayer. What was that all about? Yeah, so that was a commentary paper. Now, there was a few of us back at that time at Macquarie that had an interest in sports chiropractic. And what we were trying to do was outline what sports chiropractic is and identify some of the, the uh, barriers facing sports chiropractor to further integration into the sports uh, medicine or sports healthcare team, if you will. So we were, in the first instance, trying to describe sports chiropractors as a multimodal type of clinician, not just focused on um, spine their understanding of uh, injury processes, particularly extremity injury processes. And when we intervene, we typically, uh, or sports chiropractors typically, as we saw it at that time, um, will incorporate things like um, modalities or exercise-based approaches and uh, also refer out to other members of the sports medicine team. So that was, that was a paper that was just outlining the issues around sports chiropractic back at that point in time. And I think largely there's been flow on to, say, the current Sports Chiropractic Australia group that have picked up the baton and, and run with it and advanced the sports chiropractic field um, today, which is really great. Yeah, I think out of all the, the 
clinical interest groups within the CAA. Um, obviously, the, the, the sports chiropractic one is the most well-established and doing some terrific work in that area. And like I said, going, going forward very, very positively. So now to your most recent um, study, and this is definitely just hot off the press. Relationship yep. between growth, maturation, and musculoskeletal conditions in adolescence. It's mm. another systematic review, and it's just been published in BJ Sports Medicine, uh, 2018, of course. And I guess the question is, yep. is it growing, Marks? Question mark, question mark. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting question, this one. So within, I, I meant mentioned the, the pain problem in adolescence earlier uh, and I suppose if we think about back pain in adolescence, there's lots of theories around what might be causing uh, these high incidence of uh, or high prevalence of back pain in, in adolescence and most commonly people's um, mind's eye are drawn to the fact that they're going through this phase of rapid development and maturation and so um, I suppose your question is, is it growing pains? Well, it may be growing pains. Actually, there's very little in the public literature on growing pains. Indeed, we didn't find any primary studies that tried to define what growing pains were. Instead, it, they might say things like um, back pain at this particular age, so back pain in adolescence, and they might measure rapid growth over a 12-month period. So what our question was trying to um, get to the bottom of is whether or not there is indeed this association or relationship between uh, maturation, so maturity status or um, maturity timing or growth, whether that be rapid growth um, in a short period of time or just high linear growth rates over a period. And after going through all the literature on the, on the topic, so we went and tried to find as many primary studies that um, could help us answer this question as possible, we found that there was a whole lot of uncertainty in this space um, and a lot of inconsistency. Uh, the, there were issues with the differences between the studies and the way in which they measured growth and maturation and, and the way in which they actually tried to answer this question from a methodological standpoint such that we couldn't perform a meta-analysis, which is pulling all the data to try and get one clear estimate of directionality of association, uh, whether there's a positive or negative, sorry, um, not directionality, but whether there's a positive, negative or no association between these these constructs. Um, and we came to the conclusion that we think that it's quite doubtful that there is this association and between both maturation and growth and musculoskeletal conditions in adolescence. And I suppose this is important because you, I think quite commonly you'll find clinicians say that they, that the pain that someone's experiencing in adolescence, say back pain, is due to the fact that they're going through this rapid development phase. And once that's over, everything will be right. It may, may not be that. There's probably other factors in at play. And if we, again, want to try and prevent or intervene early on these people to reduce this big burden, which we know exists, then we, we, we might need to look at other factors. So it's really interesting, you know, it's certainly been my experience that not only mums and dads and, and folklore, but even at a, at a clinical level, frequently practitioners are saying to patients, I get this all the time with parents coming in saying, oh, my 
GP said that, you know, Johnny's getting his, you know, knee and hip pain. It's just because he's going through a growth spurt at the moment. There's so much use of the term growing pains uh, out there, but it seems as like from what you're saying, there's very, very little evidence to support it. Yeah, that that's right. It's, um, it's very commonly described in uh, clinical practice settings and, and not just chiropractic setting, settings, but, but other healthcare providers as well. And you're right, there's not a whole lot of evidence to support it. And I suppose the, the thing for me that, that was of interest is going into this, I assume that um, rapid growth or um, pain during those periods was indeed a thing, that growing pains was a thing because as a young person, I experienced quite a bit of discomfort um, with the sports that I played and I just believed that it was growing pains. But when you go to those primary studies, it's, um, there's been really none that have qu tried to quantify or define what growing pains are and then measure them and look to see whether or not uh, periods of rapid growth are, are indeed associated with those types of pain. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Well, Mike, thanks so much for your time uh, this morning. Uh, we'll definitely make the links to not only your latest research but also some of the previous uh, studies that we've talked about this morning um, available to all the members when the podcast uh, goes out. It's really important work and really important that we uh, maintain and grow a, a dynamic research uh, culture and, and, and thank you for being uh, such a, an important part of that. Pleasure, Anthony, and, and thanks for having me on your program. Well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to uh, keep in touch with the future CA podcasts and we'll look forward to catching up with you for our next CA podcast very soon. Mm -hmm.